It's a difficult one because in terms of interpretation with regard to the ruling or to, to the statement made by the International Court of Justice, it's not necessarily binding, but it's really around the idea that it's a condemnation of what Russia is doing. And more importantly, it's a violation of protocols under international law, that there is no kind of justification or legitimation for the fact that Russia has now moved into the territorial sovereignty and infringed the territorial integrity of Ukraine. There was no a sense of, of, of justification based on the fact that there's not been a kind of attack by Ukraine onto, uh, against Russian sovereignty as well. Now, this is becoming quite an important area in terms of interpretation of international law and under what circumstances would a country be, uh, have the ability to undertake the kind of um, in, uh, 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 the kind of action that Russia has taken in the context of Ukraine? So that's more or less where it is right now. But it's also the challenge of whether this will impact on on Russia in terms of the fact that in in, in the context of the global multilateral arena and the institutions that underpin and govern and govern the global governance architecture, will that have any kind of impact on where Mr. Putin is? What will happen if Russia ignore this order? Any sanctions? It's very difficult, um, because you must remember that in terms of the International Court of Justice, and in particular, I think in terms of the broader architecture when it comes to the International Criminal Court and so forth. Now countries that are not members of, 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 of the ICC, um, for example, I'm giving you, and Russia is one of those uh, countries, including the U.S., including China, um, as well as a, a, a lot of other countries. So I think at the end of the day, um, sanctions is already there. You know, it, it, it's already being applied and implemented by what we see as unprecedented levels of sanction against the, the the Russian regime, against the oligarchs that have close relations with, with Putin, allegedly or even uh, explicitly, um, you see the fact that uh, trade with Russia is under a lot of strain. Um, just I think because yesterday Singapore uh, had to is, is, is a in a bit of a bind at the moment because Singapore has a trade and services agreement with the Eurasian Economic Union, and there's a bilateral with Russia under that. And so at the end of the day, Singapore is feeling a, a bit more constrained because this will have an impact on its on its services industry and its economy. Now, this is, this is where it is. So I think, you know, sanctions in terms of uh, where, where we are currently, I think it's already reached that, not reached, but it's already in that unprecedented context where you can't, I mean, any kind of transactional value, part of the value chain, as well as the cold storage, as well as the, the, the financial sectors, and, and, and of course the corporate sector, they all, they all have been feeling it because China, I mean, because Russia is in uh, the state of sanctions. Mm-hmm. So, you can see the big companies that have left Russia, um, companies that will bring to thirty billion U.S. dollars over five years of trade, um, and just completely pulling out. 
Yeah. Now, the case before the International Court of Justice was brought by Ukraine, in which it has accused Russia of manipulating the concept of genocide to justify its invasion. So do you think then that Russia's apparent justification that it was acting to prevent a genocide in eastern Ukraine is founded? It's very difficult to, to segregate that because the Russian uh, presidency and the Russian president seems to pull that, that position a lot in terms of the presentation of, of, of what, why, and the justification as to why this um, uh, action was taken by President Putin. Um, and it was about the question of denazification and also questions around, you know, the, 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 the two breakaway provinces where there was this kind of a suppression of, of, of Russian people's language and, and, and so forth. But I think at the end of the day, it's going to be interesting to see what historical precedences are actually used as well in this. Remember, in, in Africa, we had a genocide uh, in, the, in, in, in 1994 in Rwanda. And I think at the end of the day, that's going to be important as well in terms of looking at some of the dynamics. In whether or not it is a genocide or they were trying to prevent a genocide from happening, again, that's all very kind of um, relative, I think. And it's all based on interpretation of the statutes and where the statutes are, because in terms of international law. I think there was a, there's, a, there's a number of interesting pieces being written in various um, blogs and, and, and various um, commentaries being made about the fact that there's only two kind of violations that take place, and you can't, you can't, uh, mm-hmm. in terms of the UN, you can't necessarily infringe the territorial integrity and the sovereign rights of another country. Uh, but of course, that can only happen if it's either sanctioned uh, or, or, or part of an action of the UN Security Council, right? And I, and I think that's partly the problem as well. So I think the justification and what Ukraine is claiming or what Russia is claiming is so very much, I mean, especially the question of trying to prevent the genocide. I think now you look at the humanitarian crisis and you look at what's going on in Ukraine, yes. and you have to then ask yourself, you know, where are we on, the, on that point?